0: And let's get to some big news coming out of the province of Saskatchewan. Starting next Monday, the province expanding their testing, their COVID testing, to anyone who works outside of their home, regardless of whether or not they're actually showing symptoms of COVID-19. Now, this program will be Canada's most expensive and most aggressive when it comes to testing. It means grocery store employees, taxi and bus drivers, frontline healthcare workers, among others, will all qualify now for tests. Meantime, our premier, Ontario Premier Doug Ford, was asked about testing in, at his press conference last hour. Here's some of what he had to say.
1: What I want, I, w- I want to see truckers tested. I want to see taxi drivers tested. I want to I make sure uh, the, the long-term care. We can't just test everyone and walk away. We're going to be testing all long-term care once again, the frontline health care workers. We want to go into areas of the automotive uh, area. Uh, sector and start testing people in automotive uh, sector right across the province. I, I want to see food processing plants being tested. That's what I want, and I'm confident it's going to happen. As, as sure as I'm standing here, we're going to make sure we ramp it up. Can I give you an exact date, Travis? I can't. I'm, I'm pushing the table as hard as I can. Is it frustrating? It's frustrating. You believe me, it's frustrating. But I, in saying that, I do have confidence in Ontario. Uh, health and and with the the uh, public health but that's what i want and that's that's what we're going to get to
0: all right let's welcome in the past president of the ontario medical association dr nadia alam joins us once again here on the show on global news radio 640 toronto dr alam good afternoon
2: good afternoon jeff thank you so much for having me on the show
0: Appreciate you being here as always. First of all, can I get your take on this announcement out of Saskatchewan? I mean, we hear all the time, doctor, that testing is the key to a safe reopening of a province or of an economy. Just how big of a move is this from Saskatchewan that starting Monday, they're going to test anyone who works outside the home, regardless if they're showing symptoms?
2: I think it's an extraordinary move. I think it's in the right direction. I think that as Ontario ramps up, it's testing abilities, it's testing capacities, we have to seriously think about how to coordinate that testing ability, testing capacity with the reopening. We know that a significant number of people get sick with COVID-19 by catching it from people who may not have any symptoms. They may not be coughing, they may not be sneezing, they may not have any fever, nothing. And yet They may have enough of a viral load that they're transmitting the virus simply by speaking. And so we know that asymptomatic transmission does occur. We don't know to what degree in Ontario because our testing has really focused on people and still is focusing on people who have symptoms. For us to get a better handle and for us to start reopening, um, I think we need to do more testing. We need to open it up, open up the criteria in a... a smart, sensible way, recognizing that there are limitations, recognizing that um, we want to get the most bang for our buck. Um, We know that testing supplies are scarce. We know all of that. But as the population begins to mingle, as people start going back to work, as people start shopping, as people start walking around on the streets, going to parks, engaging with their community, with whom they've been isolated for for a while now, we need to ramp up testing. We need to ramp up contacting all of that.
0: We need to ramp up testing. We need to open the criteria when it comes to testing. But we still, as you well know, Dr. Lam, are falling short, short of our daily targets when it comes to COVID testing. So why is Saskatchewan seemingly doing a better job when it comes to testing? Or are they? I mean, on a per capita basis, are, are they that much ahead of Ontario?
2: It's, me to say because I don't know the inside-outs of um, why our testing capacity has been so slow to ramp up. I know generally that testing supplies have been hard to come by. Um, I know that generally even the the materials used to process testing, right, process the swabs, process all of that um, are hard to come by. And Ontario has, and I suspect like other provinces, has struggled to source enough. Ontario has a massive population. We are one of the most densest, densely populated provinces in Canada. And so even if we look at testing supplies, we're always going to need magnitudes more than a province like Saskatchewan.
0: Now, the Premier also talked today about, as you just heard the clip we played uh, before I invited you on the air, about instituting random testing for truckers, taxi drivers, auto workers. Is that a move you'd be in support of?
2: I would be in support of testing anybody who comes in close contact with other people. Um, And again, that's by virtue of the fact that we know that some COVID-19 spread does occur between asymptomatic people just through the simple act of speaking i'm also in favor of universal masking i think if nothing else people should be wearing cloth masks if they can get their hands on higher level masks that's great those higher level masks should definitely be available made easily available to doctors like me to nurses to allied health to first responders even people who are on the front lines of the grocery stores. I believe that those, those kind of people who come in contact with just regular community members in close contact on a regular basis should be masked um, appropriately and should be tested appropriately. I also believe that the population needs to be reminded how important hand hygiene is. I think testing is important, but it's part of a whole puzzle, a whole method of dealing with COVID-19. And we can't forget that.
0: Sure, but testing has got to be, I would believe, one of the major puzzle pieces, as it were. And should we be concerned about the level of testing or lack thereof, as Ontario is now several days into stage one of its reopening? I mean, can we accurately gauge how well that's going and how can we know when it's safe to move on to stage two?
2: And that's the question that I've posed to the government as well. I'd I'd like to know what their threshold is. What do they consider safe? We know that in the last couple of days, we've had a surge in a small surge in an increased number of people becoming positive with COVID-19. Is that because of the reopening? Maybe, right? We don't really know. We need to get more information out from government, from public health, out to the public, so that we understand what's happening, so that we can move in lockstep with them so that their decisions make sense. So are these, is this a surge in nursing homes? Is this a surge in... Retirement homes, is this a surge in group homes, right? Children's homes, things like that. Or is this a surge in just regular people who have have started interacting more now? Is is this because of the reopening? And if it is, how much is okay? How much is not? We really need that information from public health. Yeah,
0: those are some really good and really important questions. Joined on the line by Dr. Nadia Alam, past president of the Ontario Medical Association also making news this afternoon is the president of the Canadian Medical Association, who says that our—and this is his word—sick healthcare system isn't ready for a second wave. Uh, what is the major concern here, Doctor Alam, when it comes to our healthcare system in a potential second wave?
2: There are three big concerns. One is um, the the inability, the the fact that we can't ramp up to previous levels because of the fact that we have new infection control precautions so for example when a patient now comes to my office for an in-person visit they first have to be screened by phone by one of the clinicians so a doctor or a nurse practitioner then they come to the clinic they're cleared to come in they come through the waiting room go to a special designated room the doors closed. they wait there they're seen they're dealt with they're whipped back out of the office because we want to minimize their time in, in areas to minimize their risk of infection. And then afterwards, we clean everything down. And so that takes time now. Before, a clinic could go through, a clinic of four or five doctors could go through maybe 80 to 100 patients a day. At now, and now, at best, we can do maybe 20 or 30. We, we've we had to slow down. So getting to a new normal must take into account the fact that we're not going to be like before we're not going to be as fast as before just because of new infection control precautions we also need access to ppe personal protective equipment masks gowns gloves and face shields those are basic level personal protective equipment that are in short supply that come at a very high cost now um, that are hard to find a lot of clinics are dependent dependent on community donations, which isn't sustainable. We know that COVID nineteen is going to last about twelve to eighteen months, and as the surge continues, we need to be able to make sure that the people on the front lines are protected, as are the patients whom they're seeing. Um, the final piece is health human resources. We know that. A number of clinics, outpatient clinics, community clinics have had to close down because of lack of funding and stabilization, income stabilization from the provincial government. They don't qualify for the federal funding or they've tried to access it and have found it insufficient. This is a problem. It's a slowly brewing problem that, because our healthcare system was operating at 100% capacity before. To lose one family doctor affects one to 2,000 patients. To lose a specialist means all those hundreds of patients who are taken care of by that specialist or who are in queue to see the specialist now have to line up at the back of another wait list. Those are three major issues that we're facing and that haven't really been responded to in a good way.
0: You know, one of the things that really stood out for me, Doctor, when it comes to the CMA report was... Physician fatigue, and I'm just wondering whether or not that has been discussed or uh, talked about enough, just the toll that this is taking on our frontline uh, healthcare workers in uh, the fatigue that they're experiencing and facing.
2: I read through Dr. Buckman's statements, and, and I agree with him 100%. He describes it as moral distress. There is this sense that you're putting your life at risk, that you're risking the lives of the loved ones that you go home to, but at the same time, you can't turn away from that call of duty to serve your community. And so what you need are, are things like PPE, right? Personal protective equipment to help mitigate that risk. Um, what you need is appropriate funding so that you're, not, you're able to afford to buy that PPE in the first place. You're able to get the resources you need to take care of your patients. There's been a lot of focus during the pandemic on the hospital system, Unfortunately, the community system, the community health system, which is where we have the majority of our care given, right? That's family doctors' offices, that's home care, retirement homes, nursing homes, um, homes for the disabled, um, all of that, pharmacies even, right? All of that, all of that has kind of been ignored during the pandemic. And a lot of the community physicians are, are beginning to feel it, We're we're beginning to feel the fatigue of having to figure this out ourselves, having to source everything ourselves, having to do everything ourselves while the government focuses on the hospital system.
0: Just finally, I want to ask you, BC's top doctor, Dr. Bonnie Henry, she said uh, yesterday that a second wave is coming because it has in all pandemics. That's the lesson of history. Would you agree with that? Is a second wave, is it inevitable?
2: I agree with it. She is more of an expert in this than myself. Um, But certainly reading around the history of these kinds of pandemics, it's true. Is the second wave going to be as bad as the first one? Maybe, maybe not. That I'll I'll leave to experts to decide and model and, and discuss. But we have to prepare ourselves. We have to prepare ourselves for the fact that even before the pandemic hit, there were a number of people on wait lists. There were a number of people... Who were slated for surgery and and oper- and procedures and and care that has been delayed or disrupted by the pandemic? We not only have to make up for that, right? We not only have to make up for that. We have to continue caring for the new group of people who need care, who need specialists, who need imaging, who need procedures and surgeries, who need nursing home beds. So it's a it's a lot. We have. A lot of work to do ahead of us.
0: Reminds me of the adage, prepare for the worst while hoping for the best. Uh, Dr. Nadia Alam, really appreciate the time as always. Uh, thanks so much and we'll uh, talk again down the road.
2: Thank you so much for having me on the show. You take care and have a good day.
0: You as well. Dr. Nadia Alam is the past president of the Ontario Medical Association.